Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? Yeah! Yeah! You tell me, was the ending of that game yesterday not the most Cowboy thing ever? Not the most Mike McCarthy thing ever? Was it not the best thing ever? Just when you think they can't do anything more to out-cowboy themselves, they find yet another gear. They take it to another level. Because that final play yesterday was an all-time NFL moment. Hell, that was an all-time planetary moment. Prescott takes the shotgun snap. He's going to run around left guard. Prescott slides inside the 25, but there's eight seconds left in counting. They scurry up to the line of scrimmage, down to two, down to one. It's down to zeros. What will they say here? San Francisco onto the field with the coaching staff and the sideline players. They think it's over. Well, the umpire had a hard time getting that spotted because there's bodies going everywhere, and he got knocked around a little bit. That's the end of the game. And that's why they couldn't get the, they could not get the snap off because they struggled to get it set. The Cowboys are beside themselves, but that's the risk. I don't like that play. You don't have enough time to get everyone lined up. A wild finish here in Arlington as Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys run out of clock as their season comes to an end. Westwood won. Had to play that all out. The, clock. the big fella, Mike McCarthy, if you need him. Big Mike just playing the hits. Everybody knows this guy has issues with the clock. Then he goes out and delivers an absolute masterclass in how not to manage the clock. Reinventing the game. This is what all the great ones do. Finding new ways to be truly awful and to blow a game and a season and do it all at home. I've been telling you this all season that this would happen. And then it did. When everybody was hyping Dallas as a Super Bowl contender and going crazy about their weapons on offense and the turnaround on defense, I did tell you it was all going to come down to Big Mike, the melon smasher, and his clock management, or in this case, mismanagement. The dude always mismanages the clock, and that's in the instances when he can actually find the clock. Because sometimes he can't. Fact. So, everybody who was saying that they were Super Bowl contenders, and I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, you can apologize to me right now. I will wait. Because it was not a matter of if Mike McCarthy was going to blow the game. It was a matter of when and how. And the when and how were amazing. If you don't mind, Alvy, could you go ahead and run that for me one more time? Prescott takes the shotgun snap. He's going to run around left guard. Prescott slides inside the 25, but there's eight seconds left in counting. They scurry up to the line of scrimmage, down to two down to one it's down to zeros uh, what will they say here san francisco onto the field with the coaching staff and the side that is incredible players. they think seriously it's over. grind that play up inject it into my veins calling a quarterback draw with 14 seconds left and no timeouts who the hell does that one man and one man only jerry's sleepover buddy 
That was absolute coaching malpractice. That was some Joe Judge level stuff right there. Calling a quarterback draw in that situation is about as smart as Joe Judge calling that quarterback sneak. That play was a fireable offense, pure and simple. Well, actually, both plays were. And the Giants finally got around to doing the right thing. They fired Judge. As for McCarthy, that too is a fireable offense. Yet, despite that fact, he had the stones or the ignorance or the audacity to actually go with this after the game. We call them thresholds and, you know, the field position, what yard line you're at and what you're trying to get to, too, based on, you know, the defense that they were playing. They were in a sideline defense, so they were protecting the sidelines. And so that was the best option to, you know, to be able to get the ball. I mean, it's it's like anything else. Do you, do you want to be running the Hail Mary play from the 50-yard line or you want to be running five verticals from the 25-yard line? So that's the decision. It's the right decision. Um, you know, it's just like anything. It's, you know, the, the execution between us and the officiators putting the ball obviously wasn't in tune, wasn't, you know, we shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there. Just, that's, is that the quote you're looking for? Is that the quote we're looking for? Is that what you just asked? You're putting this on the refs? Because of course you would. Yo, big fella, the refs did not cost you that game. The refs were not the ones who decided to run a quarterback draw with no timeouts left. You and that alleged next Tom Landry, Kellen Moore did. So don't come in here with this bull crap and put it on the refs. This is exactly who you are and what you do. This is nothing new. This has always been the fear. Again, I've been saying this for weeks, that this would happen. That something like this would happen in a playoff game, and then it did. The surprise is not that it happened. The surprise would have been if it didn't happen. But it did, right on cue. So get out of here with this bull crap about the refs costing you that game. And save this nonsense about how you practice that play all the time. Something else he said, we practice it all the time. Because it sure as hell doesn't look like it. There was complete and total chaos. I'm not sure what was worse, the call or the execution. Besides, why the hell would you practice that anyway? Why are you practicing a play that guarantees you can't win the game? Why are you practicing a play that guarantees you won't even get a shot at winning the game? And if you practice it so much, why is your quarterback running too far down the field and then handing the ball to a teammate instead of an official? The official has to touch the ball first. Does anybody there even know the rules of the game? If you practice it all the time, how the hell does Dak not know that? So, if that's how you spend your time, practicing something like that all the time, and you're practicing it that terribly, that is a fireable offense. And, as for this question... Do you want to be running the Hail Mary play from the 50-yard line, or do you want to be running five verticals from the 25-yard line? So that's- I can answer that. Yes. The answer is yes. I would rather be running a Hail Mary from the 50 or five verticals from the 25. Either one is better than what you did, which was have the game end without getting anywhere near the end zone. You had the ball on the 41 with 14 seconds left and somehow managed to not even get the ball anywhere near the end zone. Never even took a shot, which is amazing. Like, incredible. The absolute best. Mike McCarthy's signature performance, all those weapons, and you literally put the game in the hands of the officials, and you lost. Every single coach and player ever.
talks about how they never want the game to be in the hands of the officials, and then you did exactly that. And then actually had the gonad to complain about that. And while this is ultimately on McCarthy, Kellen Moore, the alleged next great head coach, should be taking some too. Because the guy gets hyped every single game as a future head coach, and then he calls that garbage. If you did that in Madden, you would never be allowed to touch a controller ever again. And yet people are thinking this guy should lead an organization. But again... Moore is not the worst offender here. McCarthy is because it's not just about that final play. It's about all the garbage leading up to it. Garbage. Like the 14 penalties. When was the last time you saw a team that undisciplined, especially in key situations? How many times did Dallas have a chance to turn that game around and then come up with some stupid penalty? I can answer that pretty much every time. How many of those were pre-snap penalties? That's on the head coach. That lack of discipline and mental toughness is on the guy who's smashing watermelons and doling out monkey butt. Monkey butt. And as good as the 49ers were early in the game, it's not like they were this ruthlessly efficient machine late. They gave Dallas plenty of chances, but the Cowboys and their head coach just could not take advantage of them. So no, that loss is not on the officials. It's on the head coach, pure and simple, because they are too good to be this bad. There is too much talent on this roster for them to suck as much as they do when it matters most and to implode the way they did. That's a 12-win team playing at home, an alleged Super Bowl contender, according to some, and their season ends with their fans throwing garbage on the field. And the team playing like garbage on the field. Garbage. Jera had this to say afterwards. The team shouldn't have been in a position for that last play to have be something controversial. There you go, Pops. There you go, Pops. Amen, JJ. You're right. I'm shocked that he actually owned that. He's exactly right. The question, JJ, you're right. Now the question is, What are you going to do about it? Because that was totally predictable. Totally predictable. Mm. It was coming from the moment you hired this guy. It's what he does. So what are you going to do now? Because if you're about winning a Super Bowl, your sleepover buddy would be packing his sleeping bag and heading back to the barn. I mean, clearly... Big Mike's biggest snag is decision-making, clock management, and carbs. I don't think he's going to be able to fix any of the above. Loyalty can only go so far. Don't let the fool in you keep fooling you, Jera. Enjoy your offseason. It's going to be a nice, long, fat one. Fat? It's almost like McCarthy saw his fallen peers, Herb, Nagy, Judge, and then picked up that flag and marched on. Mike was not going to let his terrible coaching brethren go down quietly. He saw Judge lying on the ground, reached down, grabbed his dog tags from his neck, and said, I will continue to make oblivious and nonsensical decisions in your honor, buddy. This ain't some clown show organization. 
He leaned down. He whispered in Nagy's ear. We don't get this far on good decisions and accountability. I will not stop now. We shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there. That's that's the quote you're looking for. Is that the quote you're looking for? This guy's something else. But you want to talk about a brass set. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Micah Hyde is my guest. Micah, it is so good to have you back. How are you? Hey, man, that was the introduction, man. Appreciate it. My man, that's because you're a player. So I appreciate <laughs> you coming on. Thank you so much. I mean, there are a million things that I would love to talk to you about coming off that win. I talked to Jordan Poyer last week, and we were talking, Micah, about what he was expecting to see from the Bills Mafia Saturday night. Let me start yeah. there. What was the atmosphere like before and during the game for you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Obviously, we had a home playoff game um, last year, but, you know, the fans weren't able to sell out. Um, so, you know, the other night was just remarkable. Um, as soon as we were able to run out the tunnel, that energy in that stadium, you know, driving to the to the stadium, seeing the people tailgate and all that type of stuff, you know, it was just one of those feelings that we just knew we were going to win. Michael Hyatt joining us. So the team started to turn things around when you arrived in 2017. Was a night like Saturday night something that you were envisioning when you first signed with the Bills? For sure. For sure. And I, and, and I remember Sean having um, a conversation when we got here in 2017. And he talked about, you know, having home playoff games. And it's, you know, the cold weather. You can hear the salt underneath your feet as you're walking into the stadium. Um, yeah, that's what we envision. And, and obviously, we've got to keep it going. We're talking to Micah Hyde. So the way the game starts off, the offense goes right down and scores on the first possession. New England drives, and it looks like they've got a good luck at a, a good look at a touchdown. You erase it. Can you take me through the play? An amazing play. Exactly what did you see on it? Yeah, on that drive, they were they were driving the ball. Um, got a couple third down conversions on us, um, which you know obviously wasn't ideal. Um, then they took a shot, double move on the outside, had receivers um, to my right, so I knew you know they were my vertical threats over there. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I feel like I had a bad jump. Um, you know, Mac Jones pumped it first and then I, he threw it on the, obviously on the, on the second one. Um, and I feel like I could have got a better jump, but as I was running over, I just wanted to make a, you know, obviously make a play on the, to the receiver. I thought I was going to have to, you know, hit the receiver and I look up and the ball was, you know, kind of floating there and I saw it and was, you know, just able to make a big play for, for us and, you know, kind of put the momentum back on our side. And, you know, I think it really turned the tides of the game. No doubt, Michael Hyde joining us. Now, when I say, Michael, that it was an incredible play, Jordan Poyer said he thought it might have been the most unbelievable play he's ever seen. He said kind of what you just said, the, you got kind of a late jump on it, but you covered so much ground and got there in time. Like, how would you describe the emotions and energy that goes through you when you make a play like that? Uh, it's, you know, it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of crazy. I didn't, you know, really know what I did. I was, I was um, going back to the sideline, obviously everyone was freaking out because it, it was a cool play. But I didn't, really, I, you know, it was kind of one of those things. I just like blacked out. You know, I was just running to the ball, made a play, and then after that, like celebrating, it was just, you know, it all happened so fast, and I feel like I just blacked out. And it wasn't until after the game where um, one of my family members showed me the uh, the video of the the catch, and I was like, wow, that was 
that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I just think that this whole year, you know, guys on defense and in offense, you know, making big plays for us, and you know, I was just happy to to make that on Saturday night. We're talking to Michael Hyde. You know, I'm going to ask about how the two units feed off each other, but I'm curious, instead of it possibly being a 7-7 game, right, you make that play, the offense goes down, you score again, and next thing you know it's 14-0. Seems to me a lot of teams might maybe take their foot off the gas at that point, but you guys didn't, which was so impressive. What was the attitude on the sideline and in the defensive huddle like when you had that lead and just kept piling on? Well, we preach all the time, you know, in our building, just, you know, affecting the quarterback, the other team's quarterback, and and I think you do that by getting up, obviously getting a couple scores, making them one-dimensional and pass and, and try to pass the ball. Um, and then from there, we try to get get, get some takeaways. So, um, yeah, we, we had a fast start, and we've always, you know, throughout the season been preaching about finishing ball games. I don't think we've done that well throughout the regular season of, of finishing games. You know, when we've been up a couple scores, we kind of let teams linger around. And, and uh, you know, it's good to – to go out there on Saturday night and just finish the job, man. We we played complimentary football. The offense was going crazy. Um, it was amazing to be a part of that game, just seeing them work and, um, you know, just seeing how hard they work in practice and to go out there and, and do what they did. Obviously, special teams making plays. Defense was, was shutting them down. So it was just a complete game. Um, coaches did an awesome job putting the game plan together. And, you know, we executed it to, to perfection. Micah Hyde breaking it down for us in terms of that complimentary football. So what about that? Like, that was as complete a game as I've seen a team play in a long, long time. The offense mm-hmm. did score seven straight TDs, but you guys dominated defensively too. How much do both sides of the ball feed off one another? Well, you know, if we could do that every game, we would. Um, but obviously, it's the NFL. It's tough. It's challenging every week to try to get in that position. But um, we know what type of offense we have. You know, I'm speaking defensively. We know what type of offense we have. So if we can get them the ball back, whether if it's a takeaway, good field position, uh, whatever it may be, you know, we know that they're going to put up some points. So, um, you know, we, we preach complimentary football a lot. And like I said, it was good to go out there and, and actually do it from, from start to finish. So, Mike, a few things before you go. I'm curious. The Bills fans, obviously, man, they were having so much fun. They were having a blast during, mm-hmm. after the win, probably still r- right now. I'm curious, as a player, how do you approach that? I mean, do you celebrate that win for a little bit and then start prepping for this Sunday, or do you not even celebrate at all? Um, you know, after the game, we it, it's it's always, you know, a 24-hour rule. Um, you know, we – we celebrate obviously the win. It's hard to win in this league, especially a playoff game. It's it's really hard. So, you know, you can you can you know kind of for the 24 hours celebrate and you know I just always come home and hang with the family, wake up to the kids the next day, and um, that's kind of my celebrating. And then you know after 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 that, you know watching the game last night, um, it's back. You know now it's on to the Chiefs. I got you. So you've won five straight, and the team has played at a really high level ever since falling behind 24 to three in the first half at Tampa Bay. What has changed for the team over that stretch? And did you find something in that game from a scheme or a chemistry standpoint? Did something happen in coming back in that game? Well, I think, you know, every season you have a, a eye-opening moment. Um, and I think at halftime of that Tampa that Tampa game, you know, I think we all really looked ourselves in the eyes and was like, you know, we're a better football team than this. Um, you know, we felt like we had a horrible first half. Um, obviously, that's a very good football team, but we just felt like we didn't play our game. And so at halftime, I can remember, you know, a lot of the older guys speaking up and saying, hey, like, we're going to go out there, we're going to fight, uh, we're going to get this thing close into the fourth quarter, and we're going to win this game. And I think that, you know, even though we didn't win that game, um, you know, we had some opportunities at the end, too. Um, 
And I think that was the eye-opening moment. We just realized that we're a good football team. We're a very good football team. we got to play complimentary football, and we can compete with anybody in this league. And and, um, I think that was the eye-opening moment. Right. Michael Hyde joins me for a couple of more moments. Listen, I know it's not about you. I'm not trying to make it about you. But when I had this conversation with Jordan Poyer last week, I mentioned that I still – that I can't believe I'm still having this conversation, but he was a Pro Bowl snub this year, and so were you. How much does that bother you? Um, obviously, we're all competitors. Um, you know, we all want to. We all want the recognition. Um, you know, I've, obviously, myself, I'm I'm here to get a ring. Uh, I want the Super Bowl ring, but at the same time, we're all competitors. We want to be the best, and so you know, it fuels us a little bit. Um, obviously, you see the All Pro stuff come out, and you know, we're both on that list. Um, and I'm just you know beyond beyond blessed to be on the list, and, and beyond blessed to to see Poe on there too. Um, just knowing how hard we work each and every day, how much we push each other, how much we push this team. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, to, to not be on that Pro Bowl stuff, you know, it's, it's definitely fueling us a little bit. I get that. And I'm not going to belabor this, but I don't, I don't know how you square or how they square you being an all-pro but not being in the Pro Bowl. But, again, yeah, like I don't I'm, know how that works. I don't I know don't, how it works. I don't either. I'm not going to belabor it. So, really quickly, you've got the number one ranked defense in the league in points allowed, yards allowed. Leslie Frazier's name is coming up for a number of head coaching jobs once again. What is it about him that makes him so special as a coach? He's a player's coach, um, never too high, never too low. Um, after any game, we could be up by 30. We could win by 30. We could lose by 30. He's the same guy the next day. He's talking about what we can do to get better. Um, and, you know, just hardest work, one of the hardest-working coaches. Um, he listens to us. If we have a suggestion on a play or on a, on a defense, he'll listen to us. He'll change it. He'll tweak it a little bit. Um, honestly, just a player's coaching is a blessing to be – and obviously, I don't want to see him leave. I don't want to see him go anywhere, um, selfishly. But um, just the, the amount of hard work he's put in you know, since I've been here for five years is just amazing. And it's, it's crazy to me that just now he's getting the recognition he deserves. I get that, right? It's tough because you love the man and you want him to get an opportunity, but you don't want to lose the guy either because he's so valuable. Exactly. I, I get that, exactly. too. Last thought, you're facing Patrick Mahomes in KC Sunday or this weekend. It's going to be the third time you've played them in their place in less than a year. So how much can you take away from the previous two meetings that you can apply to this one, or maybe not so much? Is it all different? Um, well, I think, you know, obviously playing the, the AFC Championship game last year, that was a big game. We felt um, like we didn't play our best. You know, we watched watched a lot of that film during the offseason and into the, the game that we played the Chiefs this year. Um, but I just think we're both, uh, you know, I guess, you know, same players. You can watch that to see how guys play. But I think we're both just different teams, you know, at this point um, in the playoffs. You know, they're, they were struggling early in the year, you know, especially defensively. They got that thing turned around, and they're, they're moving right now. Um, obviously, the weapons they have on offense, you know, they can put points up with, you know, with, with anybody. Um, and then, you know, for us, we're, I think we're a totally different football team too. Even though we won that game, we had our ups and downs. We kind of had a roller coaster of a season, um, and so I think now we're playing our best ball, and it's going to be it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be exciting. That place is going to be electric. I love playing at Arrowhead. And, um, I'm really, really excited to get this game going. It's going to be insane. Buffalo KC, Sunday night, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. He is a two-time All-Pro now and a Pro Bowler, Micah Hyde. Micah, I didn't mean to keep you that long, but what a good interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate you always being available to us on this program, especially after a win like that. Have a great week. Good luck, and thanks for doing that. I appreciate you, Jim. Thank you, man. We'll talk soon. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. 
Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Charles Davis joining us. Charles, great to have you back. How are you, my man? I'm doing great, Tim. It's good to hear your voice. Hope everyone's doing well in your world. You too. Great to hear your voice. Hope you all are doing great too. So you were on the call for New England at Buffalo Saturday night. Before we get to the game, I know you love your job. I know you want to be there badly. You're never, ever going to complain about the weather. But, Charles, how cold was it there? (laughs) Jim, you understand. You get it, right? Man. We have to follow the same script as anyone who's playing, right? You'll never get players complaining. You'll never get – look, Bud Grant ruined it for everyone, didn't he? With the Vikings back in the 70s. That's it. No heaters, no anything. And then Bud Grant came rolling out for that Seattle playoff game just wearing a polo. I mean, that's the toughest man I've ever seen in my life. Right. So if he can do that, we can't complain. All right, forget it. I'm complaining. It was cold, Jim. Dude, it was. It had to be. Flat out cold. Now, the beauty is our booth guys, Jose and Don, did a fantastic job helping us with heat. Evan Washburn, our colleague on the sidelines, he's the one who gets the MVP because he had to do it without all that stuff, although he did sneak some of that chicken broth that the Bills had going. So I got to give him credit for having an inside hookup. But, yeah, it it was darn cold. I mean, six degrees at kickoff and, you know, minus whatever when you ended in the wind chill. But, you know, we did the job, and let's face it, Jim, if they told us we couldn't be there, we'd probably be upset over that, too. No doubt about it. And you guys did a great job, and everybody involved, Charles Davis joining us. So there had been so much talk going into the game about Josh Allen's stats and cold weather, even a suggestion from Bart Scott about what he might do to enhance his performance. What do you make of the way Allen played on Saturday night, both in passing and running and leading that team from the front? Pick your adjective and whatever it is probably wasn't enough he did it all in that ball game that team wanted him to do it all meaning they were there in full support whatever you need big fella you lead we'll be there for it but he put the performance out there first now what was beautiful was I and Eagle my partner nailed it on the first touchdown remember the play that lasted about nine almost 10 seconds right you know when he ran around and he threw it in the back I thought he threw it up there to give Dawson Knox an opportunity. He was just throwing it away, and I had nailed it. And Dawson went up and got it. That might have been the only real ball that was kind of in question for him. And if you call that in question, no big deal. It was going to be thrown away, no harm, no foul. The rest of it, he was masterful. Full control, ball where it was supposed to be. And then his running ability, which I think keeps getting better and better, and he makes people make business decisions downfield. That's 240 pounds coming, okay? He can not only juke, he'll drop the shoulder on you and surprise you a little bit and, and increase, increase the emphasis and the, and the force on that. He was exceptional. The team was exceptional. They were locked in. But let me just say this, Jim. The play of the night, which I think turned everything, was Micah Hyde 
pulling a Willie Mays, a Ken Griffey, a Gary Pettis, that interception on the first drive of New England, because that was a really well-thrown ball by Mac Jones. He made that play. They go down and score. It's 14 zip. And what does New England try to avoid and need to avoid? A track meet. Guess what? They fired the starter's pistol. They can't keep up now. So glad you brought that up. I was going to bring that up next. I agree with you. I thought that, and he's coming on the show, Charles, in about an hour. Micah Hyde, what a great, great play that was. And the fact that that INT also led to a subsequent touchdown. We knew the Patriots were not going to play well from behind, and then they didn't, and it kept getting worse and worse. In fact, once Buffalo got up and then just kept on rolling, what was the atmosphere like in that stadium, and how much were the Bills fans enjoying the fact that their team was just clobbering Belichick and the Pats? Yeah, they were enjoying the heck out of it. They came with that whole idea that that's what was going to go down. And when you talk with Micah, I believe he was a baseball player, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he and Jordan Poyer, I always get it mixed up. Might want to check on that, have your, have your guys check on that one, Jim. But one of them was drafted by the Marlins. And sometimes I get it mixed up. But if he's the one, you can see where the baseball came into play. As far as the fans, they came for the coronation but they also came with trepidation. It's still New England. They knew they were the better team. They knew they had the better roster. They felt like the loss in game one at home and the wind was a little bit of a fluke, but it's still New England, right? It's still Bill Belichick. I said before the game, the dragon they still have to slay is New England, even though they're defending two-time defending AFC East champs. They have to show the world they can handle that at the, at the highest level, and they did in a big way. And then, as you noted, <laughs> the celebration really went on and on and on, and there was an increased emphasis because you ask any Buffalo player, you ask any Buffalo coach, they say when they're out in town, when they're around, New England is always the first team that's mentioned to them. Charles Davis joining us. I'm not sure that celebration's even ended just yet, but they no. took care. They no. took care of that dragon. Now, what about the other one that still awaits them? I mean, it's unlikely, Charles, the Buffalo is going to score touchdowns on seven straight possessions against Kansas City. I'm curious, what are your early, and I know it's early, but what are your yeah. early thoughts on this Buffalo team and how they match up with KC on Sunday? I think they match up well, and, and it's not just going back to the game they played during the season because – that one might be a little bit of a false positive because that was when Kansas City was struggling, remember? Mm. That was in the midst of them coming out of the gate three and four, okay, before they caught their stride and got everyone back on defense, et cetera. But the way, the way Buffalo's playing, there can't be anyone more confident, and I don't think there's anyone quite as complete as what I'm seeing from Buffalo right now. Number one defense, hot offense, and you're right. There's no chance they go seven for seven again. But they're going to put the pressure on you enough that most of the time when you play Kansas City, you're thinking to yourself, you have to do extra things on offense in order to keep up with Mahomes. In this game, Buffalo's not worried about that. They think they already do those things. (laughs) They're wondering if they can get the jump and make Mahomes and Kansas City be the team, they may have to continue to do some extras in order to keep up with them. So this is where it's going to be fun. Defenses are both playing pretty well, pretty high level. Buffalo's ranked higher, obviously, but Kansas City, I think what it comes down to, Jim, is not just playing well on defense, but can you get those key takeaways? And that's where Kansas City's really opportunistic. Let's see if Buffalo is as opportunistic, and they have been through through the year. They'll need to be in this ballgame, but I don't think they go into Kansas City with any fear at all. I think they feel like they're the big dog, 
And they're just, they're just out to prove it now. Can't wait. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. Charles Davis joining us. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you about the other AFC game of the divisional round, Cincinnati at Tennessee, Saturday yeah. at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. I mean, you saw our guy Boomer. He was fired up, understandably so. <laughs> it had been 31 years, Charles. How significant was that playoff win over the Raiders for the Bengals organization as a whole and for that fan base too? I think when you see Zach Taylor out at the local bar, giving a game ball to the Cincinnati fans as whole as a whole. To me, that tells me that this is a, a coaching staff, a team, an organization fully in touch with the, with what their fan base needed from them. Not just the win, which they provided, obviously, but to acknowledge it with their people. That's one of the smarter things I've seen in sports, to understand this, let everybody know. It meant everything. Because this, this group's been, it's been a while. And, and look, Everyone keeps talking about Marvin Lewis and, oh, they never won a playoff game. They had opportunities. People keep forgetting at one point that run that they had. That was one of the better teams in the league for a six-, seven-year span. And then they didn't get over the hump, and that drove people crazy. But they were there. Now they finally got over. They're looking forward to doing more. But I just love what they did with the, with the fans, acknowledging them, acknowledging the city and everyone who, who represents Cincinnati and, and cares about the Bengals. I thought that was a really smart move. And then, Charles, finally, like, Joe Burrow is, to me, he is so exceptional. This kid, to me, is just so special. I mean, not even two full seasons in, already a significant injury, which he's overcome. You can just tell that whole locker room follows him, believes in him. In your opinion, how much of that it or that performance on the field is about the performance on the field, and then how much of that is just about swagger, attitude, preparation, <laughs> mindset? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big portion of what you said, the latter part, Jim. Because this kid has seen it and visualized it and lived it and trained it from the word go. You know, when other people were saying, ah, he's a third-day quarterback, he never saw himself that way. He's never, he never allowed himself to feel that way. So he's been there. You know, I've, I've comped him to Wayne Gretzky. And, and people are like, what do you mean by Gretzky? I said, well, Walter Gretzky used to train Wayne to see plays before they happened, to see a play two or three passes beyond that first pass, to go where the puck would end up, not where the puck was going. To me, that's Joe Burrow. He sees things before they happen. He sees things two or three plays down the road. He sees where the receiver should end up and puts the ball there instead of where he is at that moment. And the second part, he's Ray Donovan, man. (laughs) He's a straight-up killer. I mean, he's just a straight stone assassin. And by the way, I think he'd put a little grin on his face if he heard that. It made me chuckle. I think that's funny. Like, you just compared a guy to both Wayne Gretzky and Ray Donovan. I mean, two guys who could not be more different, but it's accurate because you're right. I think the guy does see things that nobody else sees. He sees things before they happen, but he is cold-blooded. He's an assassin. He's a killer. A straight-up assassin. And by the way, the second part of the money that you got to put in the account, because you got to put money in the account, to, to, to get the hit initiated, right? The second part is upon completion. When he tells you the job's done, that money better be in the account or he'll come for you. Man, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be unbelievable. Really quickly, I've got about 90 seconds. What about yeah. the Titans? Do you feel like they're not getting the respect of either even Kansas City or Buffalo, not from them, but of them, and how fair is that? Are people sleeping on the top seed? Absolutely, they're sleeping. 91 players used on the year, Jim, and they're the number one seed in the AFC. I mean, that's great. I know even in COVID time, that's crazy. I think Mike Vrabel is going to win coach of the year, and he should win coach of the year because he manipulated a roster like that. And he lost key guys throughout the year. And we could go on and on about who they were. 
they found a way. They got better on defense when they needed to this year. They, they were able to get it done with a running game without Derrick Henry. Did, did, you, did anyone have Deontay Foreman running the way he ran down the stretch? No. no chance. But they did it. And so, yes, people are sleeping on them. But I think the big guy will be back <laughs> for this ball game. Let's see where they go. Julio came back. He's healthy. A.J. Brown healthy. We're starting to see a better form of this Tennessee Titans team. This is going to be fun. And don't think for a second Mike Vrabel's not letting his team know they're going to talk about everyone else but the number one team out there. Okay? He's going to use that. Look, Jim, he'll use this at this one. Jim and Tony are going to Kansas City Buffalo. He's getting Ian Eagle and myself. He may not disrespect us, but he'll let his team know the number one team is not getting the number one broadcast team. Ready to win money and boost your odds. Win bet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. We are bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, tennis, and most importantly right now, the NFL playoffs. College basketball conference play, great promos, odds, and payouts happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have exactly what you need. So log in to WinBet and check out the latest football lines, including all the pivotal NFL action that's still ahead. Are you ready to play? Sign up today. Get a special offer, risk-free, $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. The offer is subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Big Head Bets segment. Hope you were able to find the extended version on Friday afternoon. That was our podcast. Normally, we do it on Friday on the program. You'll recall, I took it off of the show and went hard with it for Super Wildcard Weekend for the Jim Rome podcast. We hit on all five games prior to the weekend, and now we are back to wrap the weekend with a preview and a pick for tonight's Rams-Cards matchup here in L.A. Head. How you living? And for those who do not know, how was your weekend, Head? Outside of the Bills Mafia wanting to get at me, my NFL weekend was fantastic, Jim. We went 4-1 and one against the spread uh, overall this weekend, so NFL was great this weekend. 4-1 and one against the spread, yep. and yet they all got to hate. You go 4-1 and one against the spread, you're getting paid now. So if people followed you and did what you advised, they got paid. They now got listen, paid. really quickly, Head, before we get into this, mm-hmm. a word to the, to the wise. I need you, and I've said this to you before, but I need you to know your room. I say this all the time, but no one I know needs to hear this more than you. Know your room. This is the daily radio program. This is not our podcast. There are certain things you can say here, and there are certain things you cannot say here. Things that you said, for instance, in our win bet meeting with the executives. Things that you said on the podcast 
that I let you on on Friday. You can't say those things here. I got you. No, are you sure? Yes, I feel like I'm an expert at this area, so I got you. Jim. Why do you I'm feel like you're this. an expert? You're like the worst at this area. You're the worst ever. If by expert you mean the worst ever, no four-letter bombs. You got that? I got it. I'm all, right. all over it. Let's do it then. All right. Rams, cards, really intriguing matchup. They're meeting for a third time this season after obviously having split the first two games. Mid-season head, I was honking Arizona hard. I was saying they were the team to beat, and they were. But they're not playing their best ball when it matters most, and they need to get right quickly. The Rams, as we have talked about, are all freaking in. Every chip to the center of the table. The Super Bowl is here in L.A., and not only do they want to host it, they want to win it. They want to win, and they want to win right now. If that's going to happen, they have to get their start by showing up huge tonight. What kind of a number are you looking at? How are you playing this one? Take your time. Let it rip. No four-letter bombs. The number I have right now, Jim, is Rams minus three and a half. Now, every game between these two teams since Sean McVay has taken over as Rams coach in 2017 has been decided by seven points or more. So I like the Rams, and I will lay the points here. Arizona is limping into the playoffs, and they haven't been the same since their loss to the Rams last month. Including that L, they've now lost four of five games, and in the four losses, they've lost by an average of 9.7 points per game. L.A. should be able to run the football like Seattle did uh, for over 200 yards last week against the Cardinals. That should set up better opportunities off of it for Stafford to take his vertical shots like he did their last game. On defense, I can't remember a big game where Aaron Donald hasn't looked like the greatest defensive player ever. And against this offensive line, who we ripped apart for three sacks last month, and he might be facing Josh Jones or Max Garcia, he's going to be special again tonight. Add Vaughn, who also has four sacks in his last five games, and Kyler is going to have um, a rough night, I'm thinking. Now, against the spread numbers, they are in Arizona's favor. However, the Cards were the only perfect team in the NFL at 6-0 and as a road dog this season. Mm. And the Rams, they are 1-5 against the spread. VA team with a winning record in the last six games. But, but McVay is 9-1 and against the Cardinals overall. I like the Rams, Jim. Ram it, minus 3.5. You know, there's a lot of really good information in there. Some really good stats in there. How about Arizona? You know, for all the trouble they've had coming in, that stat about them being 6-0 and as road dogs is pretty powerful. Now, Head, essentially, every team in the league goes as their quarterback goes. Yeah, I know, tremendous insight on my part. But especially these two teams. Let me ask you this. Who do you trust more on a night like this, in a matchup like this? Who do you like better in this particular matchup, Kyler Murray or Matthew Stafford? Because there's a hell of a lot of pressure on both. Are we going to get Matthew Stafford MVP candidate earlier this season or Matthew Gofford turnover factory of late? Well, they do go as they go, and I know that's not great insight, but this is especially true for these guys. When Stafford, not Gofford, shows up, the Rams win. When he had a rating of better than 100 in a game this year, they went 9-0. and Same thing for Kyler as well. When the cards were 8-0 and when he hit that same mark of 100 or better. If all things are equal here, I'd have to say I trust Kyler more, but it's not a level playing field and situations matter, and I just think with 99 and his buddies breathing down Kyler's ass all game long, the fact he will be going up against a better secondary and without D-hop, I'd take Stafford tonight, but that's not a sure thing. 
because both of these guys have struggled down the stretch, and old Fat Face has thrown the football to the other team more than anybody in the NFL this season. But tonight, I'm going to go with Matt Stafford, not Gofford. All right, so I said know your room. Let me just say this. You heard the little bell, which means you've used up your quota of ass per segment. However, I did not grant you one Fat Face per segment. You do not have any fat face quota. Like, well, why are you fat facing that guy? Well, ask me a question on Kellen Moore, and I could answer the same way. He's kind of got the chubby cheeks as well. well. Why are we measuring face fat? I don't know. The camera. I mean, and is there, there and is there even a way to do so? What do you have? Do you have a device to measure face fat? I don't know. Pinch your cheeks like a baby. <laughs> You're making it worse, <laughs> not better. Head. The guy with the biggest head in the world is criticizing the size of somebody else's face. That's right. Yep. No, that's wrong. Crack my that's forehead. all wrong, dude. That's all wrong. <laughs> all right, so I'm still – stop doing it is what I'm saying. Hey, hey, his face is fat. It's very, it's very juvenile of you, all right? Okay. You were doing fine. You were actually respectable. I'm still shaking my head about the Cooper Cup show. This cat's numbers are insane. Mm-hmm. 145 receptions. 1,947 yards, 16 TDs, and how about this? Only one game where he's been under 90 receiving yards the entire season. Everybody knows this guy's going to get it, and still nobody's been able to stop this guy at all. The only game he had under 90 yards was against Arizona, so you know they're going to run it back again tonight. Cup v. Byron Murphy. How do you like that particular matchup this evening? How do you think that goes? If Stafford hits Cooper in a stride, it's going to be a long night for Murphy, even with help. He's good, but he's not elite like Cup, like you said he was. And his night will only get worse if the Cardinals have to commit more guys in stopping the run, which is very likely. Um, The Rams have targeted Cup 28 times in the first two matchups here. I'd expect the same double digits throws his way as well. Now, if J.J. Watt, and whether he plays or not, it looks like he might, If when he's healthy... They are completely different. They're 7-0 and with him, and the pass defense is better. Their strength, which that was when he was there, gets better. So Murphy could get some help, but I see Cup running all over him tonight. I think that it's pretty obvious. Stafford, when he has time and he's comfortable yes. back there, yes. he's, he carves people. But yep. when you pressure him, his decisions are not as good. All right, bottom line, have I left anything out? Is there any other thought, any other matchup that you want to touch on? And if not, give me the pick one more time. I'll say the same protection issues for Stafford tonight. Chandler Jones also has to have a big game against Big Wit. Last week, the 49ers started getting to Stafford, and it threw the game off. So that is a big, big matchup. If they keep him clean, they should roll on this whole thing. Um, the pick is Rams minus three and a half. So let's do this. All right, Head, let's do this. Good job. Thank you very much. We'll see how it goes. All right, Jim, thanks. Good job, dude. The bonus segment with the Big Head. Big Head bets on a Monday. He's going to ride Rams minus three and a half. He went four and one against the spread over the weekend. So does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle I'm talking about. And it's a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the very best part... 
There is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. EJ Liddell. EJ, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Great to talk to you. So you dropped a tough one at Wisconsin on Thursday, so I'm curious. Let me start right there. What was the mood around the team going into yesterday's game against Penn State, and then what did you make of the way that everybody responded to the loss? Uh, I feel like a lot of people look over Penn State, but Penn State's a really good team. So uh, we just wanted to come back out, bounce back from a a good Wisconsin team that we played on the road and just uh, come out there and fix some simple things that we had to uh, get better at, and that was just defense and uh, playing hard, so uh, I felt like we went out there and executed that yesterday. You know, something else, there was maybe something kind of a little bit intangible, like in the sense that after the loss to Wisconsin, you talked about that feeling that the team wasn't connected in that game. How would you describe the connected feeling that you're looking for on the court, and did you see that yesterday? Yeah, I felt like we were connected on the defense, and I feel like it starts from defense, and then it carries over in the offense. Uh, Yesterday wasn't a great shooting night for everybody, but I felt like our defense was really connected and just uh, communicating and just being uh, together as a team whole. And that uh, came from practice the past two days. And I feel like we're going to keep building off of that and keep being better. E.J. Liddell is joining us. So as a leader on the team, did you feel a particular responsibility to make a statement with how you personally played yesterday coming off the loss? Yeah, no doubt. I feel like uh, if my effort is great, everybody else's effort uh, will follow behind. And um I have to lock in on the defense end. Like I said, um, I'm getting better at it. Um, guarding more wings this year rather than uh, centers like last year. And I'm just going to keep improving on that and keep getting better. That's interesting. So back in November when you beat number one Duke, it was a game where you trailed by 13 at halftime. Then with 63 seconds to go, you made a pair of free throws to take the <laughs> lead. And then with less than 20 seconds left, you hit a jumper to extend that lead. What was the final minute of that game like for you? Man, it, it went by, like, really, really slow. Like, everything was happening, like, in slow motion. And when I hit that final shot, uh, I, I kind of – I don't even remember what I said, but I just went down the court celebrating, got to stop it, and it just got, like, extremely loud. And I feel like that's, like, a moment I won't ever forget. And uh, just that just that uh, experience playing against Coach K in his last season against a number one team at home in a packed house, uh, I don't think it was any going to be anything like it. And listen, that's a once-in-a-lifetime, right? When you get a shot at Coach K in his last season and you're in their house and they're the number one team in the country, that's a once-in-a-lifetime. But that whole thing you said about how everything slowed down as a really high-level performer, do you try to, like, replicate that or try to make it so? Or those flow moments, do they just happen and you just have to ride with them when they do? Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not bragging or anything, but I feel like I'm made for big moments like that. And in big situations, I feel like uh, I just – take my time and know what I'm doing. I don't uh, let the game speed up for me. I felt, felt like my freshman year, it was it was really fast. But over the years, I just let the game slow down and just uh, just playing, honestly, not so much thinking. So in moments like that, uh, I'm a basketball player. I like play, like think the game. Uh, and in moments like that, I just I step up. Yeah, I don't think that's a brag. I think that's true. So if you're somebody who's built for those moments, is it because you learned how to perform in those moments or how much of that is you're just wired? Like some guys are just like that, man. They want that. They live for that. Um, I've played basketball a long time and I've been in a lot of close game situations. I've missed some shots. I've made some shots. But uh, moments like that, I just know um, not to do anything that I haven't been taught to do, honestly. So uh, including video games, I feel like I take the game winning shots in 2K and stuff like that as well. <laughs> so uh, 
just just uh, being wired like that, uh, just from learning. And you've been there before. E.J. Liddell joining us. So you could have entered the NBA after last season, but you ultimately decided to return to college this season. The NBA, of course, is the dream for anybody who's ever picked up a basketball. So what made you decide to come back to college and to run it back again? Why was that the right move? Uh, I just felt like I had a lot more to prove, honestly. Uh, I could improve on my game a lot more, show people I'm better, and uh, hopefully raise my stock by just uh, being a more all-around player. And personally, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing that. I'm still getting better, still learning. And um, I just felt like my time at Ohio State wasn't up. So specifically, were some, what were some of the aspects of your game that you wanted to improve on or to show the scouts? Uh, just be able to guard uh, a lot of positions. Last year, I guarded the center literally the whole game, uh, all last season. And this year, I'm guarding more at guard, switching off on guards, wings, and just showing my all-around game, being able to shoot three-point shots and uh, being an all-around versatile defender. E.J. Liddell is joining us. You know, after that loss in the tournament last year, you received some truly hideous direct messages on social media, including some death threats. I don't want to go back and spend a lot of time on that awful time but as a young person, a young athlete, hell, it's anybody. What was that experience like for you? Uh, the experience was, uh, I mean, it was weird, honestly. I just want to know why, like, just wonder why people would say things of that sort. But it's always going to be those one or two people out in the world who just have, like, a fan page and just always being negative on people's things. Uh, I just feel like that's, like, someone in the culture is just everybody being trolls. But uh, that experience just showed me um, – is everybody is has my back no matter what uh, i have a lot of support from a whole bunch of different people uh in different programs like in the mlb nfl uh nba just a lot of people said they get those all the time too and just uh, stay strong i think that's right i think that's right i think obviously the majority of people are not like that but there are some idiots who have nothing better to do that do that and it makes no sense whatsoever i think on one level ej it would have been very understandable for you to say in light of that i don't need this i don't want to return to school did that ever cross your mind at any point? Uh, no, nah, I, I wouldn't say so. I, I was in a situation where I could have left, but I, it, truly in my heart, I felt like it was not my time to go. Uh, and I felt like I wanted to play in front of fans again. Because uh, COVID last year, there was no fans in the stands besides like the Big Ten tournament. And I honestly just felt like it was not my time to go. I think that's cool, too. Like, you, you think that you have gratitude. You think you have an appreciation. But it's not until everything is ripped from you that fo you fully understand how great it was or is. So what was it like or what is it like to have the fans back in the stands and have that kind of juice and energy? Man, honestly, it's crazy. Uh, before the games, uh, get to see all the fans, get to talk to people, interact with people, take pictures, because I love doing that, meeting people. Because I was one of those kids who looked up to guys like that when I was a younger guy. And um I just really want to give back to uh, fans and whatnot, just if it's with a smile, a fist bump and whatnot. And uh, just playing in front of friends at home just brings a ton of energy. Uh, going on away games in the Big Ten, I see a lot of Ohio State fans as well who live in those states and who can't get to our games as often here. But uh, just meeting people and just uh, enjoying time like that means a lot to me. EJ Liddell is joining us. You mentioned that, that some of the fans travel really well. i got to ask you something really quickly. So I've got one. We have one son who is a junior at Wisconsin. Again, I'm a California guy. I'm an L.A. native. We sent one kid to Wisconsin, and his younger brother is now looking at colleges, and he's thinking Ohio State. Would that be a good idea? Like, if I send my younger son there, what's that going to be like for him? Oh, I feel a great experience, uh, a great culture, and just an all-around good experience in college, honestly. I love it.
yesterday it was a whole bunch of people because it snowed here. Uh, it was kind of a snowball fight, and I enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, so, and, and just uh, the college experience is great. So mm-hmm. I would definitely say this is the place to be. All right, I love that. I'm going to pass that along to him and his mother. All right, so I mentioned <laughs> off the top that you're averaging three blocks per game. Before you go, you had five against Northwestern on Sunday. You talked about the importance of guarding, and you wanted to improve upon that in that you could guard any position. Earlier this season, you had eight in the game against Xavier. You're among the nation's leader in shot blocking. You're only 6'7". How do you explain your approach to shot blocking? Uh, I, my mom says I get it from her, and I kind of agree because she, uh, she went to Illinois State in college and she was like an undersized middle blocker at only like 5'10 and she led her team to like the sweet 16 so she says I have my timing and uh, jumping ability from her so I give full credit to her for that. (laughs) I like that so finally you put up some ridiculous stats this season including being the best player in more than a decade with 30 points, 5 threes and 5 blocks in the same game. I mean are these stats that you notice and pay attention to at all or is it only about winning? Man I'm I'm all about winning that's how I've been wired my whole life Uh, I I just don't see uh, the satisfaction with you only putting up stats and not uh, everybody else being happy. So I'm a winner. I love winning, and I love uh, just playing with these guys right now. You are, dude. First team All-Big Ten last season, named to the midseason Wooden Award watch list, coming off that big game against Penn State. And you've got IUPUI at Ohio State tomorrow night. EJ Liddell, my guest. EJ, great getting caught up. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for doing that. Good luck. Yes, sir. Thank you. Go to San Antonio, Gino. Good morning, Gino. What's up, dude? Romy, I didn't want to have to make this call. I really did not. If for no other reason that I had a uh, last longer bet with my boy Dave Castro from Santa Cruz on the uh, Niners and the Cowboys who would last longer. Loser has to put a sticker on the back of their vehicle for an entire year of the other team. So believe me, on the back of my truck today is going to be going a San Francisco 49ers sticker. But there's going to be another sticker going on the back of my truck right behind that one. It's going to be a sticker that says sucks. So that's how I'm going to deal with that. But I'm coming in here today to represent for Cowboys fans, Romy, because it's easy to be loud and talk proud when your team's running clean and everything's tighter than a glove on OJ's hand. But who's going to step up and own it when things go bad? Well, that's me. I'm here. I'm owning it in front of the whole jungle. You know, I wanted to believe before the playoffs started that the boys probably had that special sauce this year. Micah Parsons, Diggs, Lawrence, the whole crew on defense. I really hoped in my heart that they'd be able to mask the foul odor of Mike McCarthy's coaching, but that was not the case. And now what do I got to do? I got to listen to Stephen A. Smith and everybody I know in my whole life ragging on the Cowboys for another year. And you might think that this would get old, but here's the thing. It really doesn't. It just doesn't. It's like having the hottest wife at a party, and she's wearing that LBD that makes sure everybody else knows she's the hottest wife at the party. And all your friends are looking at her. They can't figure out how come you're with her, how come she's with you. And in their hearts, in that dark place that they cannot admit exists, even to themselves, they know they would trade places with you in a second. They'd go home with your amazingly glorious hot wife and let you go home with that Winnebago they're walking around with. So I get it. I get the hate. It just comes with having the hottest wife at the party, and that's our burden as Cowboys fans. But even when you got that hot wife, Jim, you know what I'm talking about. They got some issues, and in this case, our issue is Jerry Jones. It's not that Jerry Jones is a bad owner. I actually think he's a great owner. He cares deeply. He's willing to spend with what he thinks he needs to spend on. But the problem is the thing that Jerry Jones loves more than anything else is Jerry Jones. It doesn't even matter 
if he fires Mike McCarthy, which would be amazing. But even if he did, do you know what he would do? He'd just replace Mike with some other hand puppet that he can control. He does not care about having a winning coach. He wants a coach that will listen to Jerry. It's like every coaching move that Jerry Jones makes is doomed to fail from the jump. It's, it's like Lance Stevenson's constantly blowing in his ear because every move he makes from letting Jimmy Johnson leave to letting Jason Garrett overstay to hiring McCarthy has turned out worse than Space Jam 2. But the measure of a real fan isn't reveling in the glory of championships. And as a lifelong Cowboys fan and a lifelong Spurs fan and a lifelong Longhorns fan, Lord knows people, I've done plenty of reveling. I've done ran out of fingers to put all the rings on people. But the measure of a real fan is how you support those teams when the chip stack's getting low. And as long as I got a chip in a chair, I'm going to be right here repping those gloriously hot Cowboys at the party. So how about them Cowboys? Hey, clones. Is that the call you were looking for? Because that's the one you got later, Romy. Gino, you can go ahead and rack that. I didn't agree with most of it, but go ahead and rack that. In other words, Gino, you want to apologize to absolutely nobody. He is Rick in Buffalo. My brother, what's going on? I didn't think Taron Johnson's pick six last year could ever be topped. But my man, Micah Hyde, did exactly that on Saturday night. The play that officially killed New England once and for all. In watching Josh Allen crap on the corpse for the next three hours was the best thing my beautiful eyes have ever seen. And since those chowderhead media a-holes are so obsessed with Allen's cold weather stats, let me provide a quick update. In sub-zero wind chills, Number 17 is 1-0 with a near-perfect QBR, five TDs, no picks, leading his team to seven touchdowns on seven drives, tossing the first postseason perfect game since Don Larson in 1956. Go ahead and sum that one out, Zolak, you third stringer turned play-by-play hack. And not only did we exercise all the demons on Saturday night, Jim, we exposed the hoodie for the head coaching fraud. He really is. How about this for some data? Without Brady, old Billy Boy's career record is 70 and 78 with one playoff win. By comparison, Wade Phillips' career record is 82 and 64 with one playoff win. So when it's all said and done, Hoodie will go down as nothing more than a poor man's bum son. And how stupid must that old pervert Bob Kraft be feeling right about now for choosing Belichick over Tommy Boy. His decision to order the full release after the AFC title game three years ago was pure genius by comparison. And did little Josh McDaniels Really call for a fake spike down 27 at the end of the first half. Other than changing Mac Jones' diaper at halftime, then press feeding him after the game, McDaniels has rendered himself pretty much useless. Ward, Devin, Singletary, morphing into Thurman Thomas at the perfect possible time. Warm Martin Luther King Jr., gone but never forgotten. Unwar Jackson Mahomes, if I ever cross paths with that little punk, I'm going to have my five-year-old kick his ass. 
Thanks for the vine, Jim. Who loves you, baby? Rock him! Good night now!